In this episode, we're going to discuss the definitions of heat, temperature, and specific heat capacity. We'll also cover different ways to measure temperature. So, let's start with some definitions. Heat energy is a form of energy that is due to the internal movement of a substance's constituent particles. As you may already know, all particles are in motion, even in stationary objects such as solids. The more internal movement, the higher the heat energy of a substance. Heat, as it is an energy, is measured in joules. As a solid gains heat energy, its particles eventually move so much that they break the rigid bonds between themselves and start to flow around each other. This turns it into a liquid in a process called melting. In a liquid, particles are still attracted to each other by weaker forces such as hydrogen bonding and van der Waals forces. Don't worry, we'll cover those in a different episode. Adding even more energy breaks even these bonds and the particles fly away from each other. This is the process of vaporization and results in a gas or a vapor. Temperature is a function of the average heat energy of an object. It also allows us to figure out which way energy will flow. As you probably already know, heat travels from objects with a higher temperature to objects with a lower temperature. The difference between heat energy and temperature can be a subtle one, but it's best demonstrated when comparing a lit match and a bath of warm water. Now, let's say the bath has a temperature of about 30 degrees, whereas a match tip might have a temperature of around 800 degrees Celsius. Clearly, the match is hotter and has a higher temperature. But which has the most heat energy? Well, the average movement of water molecules in the bath is much lower, hence the lower temperature. But there are many, many, many orders of magnitude more particles in that bath than in the end of a matchstick. So the total energy, that is, all of the energies of all the individual particles added together, is actually more in the bath. And so the bath has more heat energy whilst having a lower temperature. The temperature of everyday objects is generally measured in degrees Celsius. This is a scale that has the freezing point of water at zero and the boiling point of water at 100. Temperature can also be measured in Fahrenheit, as it is in the States. Fahrenheit can now also be defined with respect to the phases of water. Water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit and boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, giving 180 degrees separation between them. Absolute temperature is temperature defined with regards to an absolute zero. As temperature decreases, the internal movement of molecules decreases in a substance. Absolute zero is defined as the point at which all internal movement ceases and there is no heat energy. It is extremely hard to obtain absolute zero, and it's actually never been obtained, even in the vacuum of space. Absolute zero is at minus 273.15 degrees Celsius. Absolute temperature is measured in Kelvin. A difference of 1 Kelvin is the same as a difference of 1 degree Celsius. So 0 degrees Celsius is equal to 273.15 Kelvin. Kelvin is an SI base unit and is now defined as 1,273.16 of the triple point of water, which, again, we'll talk about in a different episode. Specific heat capacity describes how easy a substance is to heat up. It is defined as the energy required to heat one kilogram of a substance by one Kelvin. Substances with a high specific heat capacity require a large amount of energy to heat up, and so can be used to keep objects at a more constant temperature. 
This is why water baths are used to keep samples at a constant temperature. A large amount of water, with a reasonably high specific heat capacity, would require very large changes in energy input or output to change its temperature. Right, so now we've got some of those definitions out of the way, let's talk a bit about measuring temperature. Temperature can be measured by both electrical and non-electrical means. Non-electrical thermometers can use the principle of expansion of liquids, gases or solids. As these substances get hotter, they expand. This is how a traditional mercury or alcohol thermometer works. As the liquid in the bulb at the bottom heats up, it expands and rises up the column. You then read the temperature from gauges that are marked on the side of the column. A boredon thermometer, described in the Gas Laws episode, uses the expansion of gas to measure temperature by straightening a coiled tube. This is a modified boredon gauge with a sealed end. A bimetallic strip consists of two strips of differing metals stuck together. They expand to different degrees at certain temperatures. And so when the strip is heated, one side lengthens more than the other, and the whole thing bends. You can connect one end to an arrow and have it point at different temperatures based on the amount of bend in the strip. A bimetallic strip can also be used in temperature compensation mechanisms, such as those found in vaporizers. Another non-electrical means of measuring temperature is the use of coloured dyes. A liquid crystal thermometer is a strip that is placed on a patient's head. The heat from the patient causes certain dyes to change colour at specific temperatures, and this can be used to read off the temperature. Electrical methods of measuring temperature are the resistance wire thermometer, the thermistor, and the thermocouple. An infrared thermometer is also technically an electrical method. A resistance wire thermometer uses the principle that a wire's resistance increases linearly with temperature. A fixed voltage can be applied to this wire, and the change in current can be measured. This can then be calibrated and amplified to display a temperature on a screen. Resistance wires can be used to measure very small changes in temperature, but are generally bulky and have a slow response time. A thermistor consists of a bead of semiconductor, usually a metal oxide, such as nickel oxide. This has the property where an increase in temperature causes an exponential decrease in resistance. This resistance can be measured and calibrated, usually with the assistance of a Wheatstone bridge. Thermistors are small and have a rapid response time. However, their output must be regularly calibrated as they are subject to drift. They can also be damaged by heat sterilization. Thermistors are commonly used in small probes, such as esophageal temperature probes or on pulmonary artery flotation catheters to measure cardiac output. A thermocouple relies on the Seebeck effect. When two conductors of differing materials are joined together, they produce a voltage between them at the point of contact. This voltage is directly proportional to the temperature. This voltage can also be easily measured. Thermocouples are fast, cheap and small, but can be slightly more complicated than thermistors to use. Interestingly, the Seebeck effect can also be used to power low-voltage devices. You can buy small electrical fans for your radiators or stoves that are powered solely by the heat that surrounds them. An infrared thermometer is what is used for measuring tympanic temperature. This is based on the principle that all objects radiate light based on their temperature. The wavelength of this light is dependent on the temperature of an object. The cooler the object, the longer the wavelength. For example, a match's flame is about 800 degrees Celsius and gives off a yellow glow. 
but a Bunsen burner at full heat is much hotter and gives off a clean blue flame. Blue has a much shorter wavelength than yellow light. As I've just said, cooler objects give off longer wavelengths, which moves colours closer to the red end of the spectrum. So the dying embers of a fire are a dark red colour. Even cooler objects, such as people, radiate infrared light. An infrared thermometer has special pyroelectric crystals that respond to the infrared light by producing a voltage. This voltage is proportional to the temperature that is measured. As with all other systems, this can be measured, calibrated, amplified and displayed on a screen. So that's it for this episode. You've hopefully learned a bit about heat and temperature, and about the different electrical and non-electrical ways of measuring temperature. Thanks so much for listening. If you've liked this episode, please feel free to subscribe through your podcast player of choice. You can also find all of these episodes online at planaprimary.co.uk. Remember, this entire series is going to be published absolutely free, so please share this with anyone who you think might find it useful. If you've got any questions, feedback, or just want to request a topic, feel free to email me at questions at planaprimary.co.uk, or you can leave a comment by this episode online.